There's only one podcast with Dale and Luke, so this is the best podcast with Dale and Luke. Don't believe what, mate. This is the start of a new podcast. Welcome to the best podcast with Dale and Luke. I, of course, am the titular Luke. And I am also Luke. We're having no Dale today. It's a Luke Double Up special. Yeah, Dale's off getting the cat done. Uh, so last week we did the best old games. And uh, Luke, why don't you run us through what's happening this well, week? we did the best old games before 1995. That's prior to 1995 and in, in various formats. After 1995, there have been several generations of gaming and gaming has blown up. It's a bit hard to just pick one game after 1995. So we just jumped straight to our favourite console, which is the Wii. The Nintendo Wii, yeah, released we just, in uh, November of uh, 2007, I believe. Yeah, yeah. we've got a good half a decade out of that. A lot of games. It probably changed console gaming as we know it. Uh, certainly the functionality of it was worth discussing alone uh, separate to all the other generations of consoles so yeah this is what we're doing we're going with the best Wii the best Wii games that's right okay cool yeah and there's plenty to draw on here yeah the uh, the Wii was probably like third or fourth most uh, sold console just behind the PlayStation 2 so second uh, most sold home console for sure. Well, I think third after the PlayStation Two and One, but then yeah, the rest of them are handheld, handheld, the Game Boy and the DS. So yeah, it it would be the fifth highest selling console in history, I think, and it's certainly the best. No, sorry, it was two thousand and six that it was launched. Two thousand and six. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've got yeah, it was a good half decade out of the Wii. A lot of good titles. And it made Nintendo cool again in a lot of people's, at least for a console. Yeah, it uh, reaffirmed that Nintendo was cool the whole time. I have no idea what you're talking about. They were never uncool. The GameCube was freaking awesome. It's a shame nobody played it. But more people played it than the Wii U, which I've got. And that was actually a fantastic console that absolutely nobody played. Uh, One of the selling points for the Wii actually was that um, they'd had the GameCube disc slot up the top as well. It was yeah. it was functionally a GameCube at the same time as being a Wii. Uh, yeah, same disc slot, but yeah, yeah it could, could take and, the mini games, yeah. Yeah, and you could plug in the um, the GameCube controllers to the top. And memory cards, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it was a two-in-one console. For anyone who didn't get the best value out of the GameCube or the time of the GameCube, it was there still to be used on the Wii. Hmm. Yeah, which is how it got used a lot at my place. Lachlan just playing uh, old GameCube games on it instead. Smash Brothers Melee or something like that. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. But this is not about the GameCube. No. And it's not about the Wii U. And it's definitely not about the Switch. This is about the Wii. And so we're going to start with our first, uh, first segment, which is called Find the Best. Can you find the best? Is it over there? No, it's not over there because it's in this segment. Okay, so we're talking the best games of the Wii era. We're talking... We're not talking the peripherals? Uh, mm, no, it is game. Okay. But the, uh, if the peripheral improves a game, then that can definitely uh, elevate the peripheral did along you, with it. Did you ever play Skate It on the, the yoga pad? I did not. The balance pad thing. Yeah, no. You, no, it was a home skateboarding console, essentially. If you had the, the yoga pad mm. and a skateboarding game, then it would, yeah, you could just ride the thing with your feet. Oh, yeah, cool. Could you kick flip the balance board? Is that what you would do? You you didn't kick flip it so much. You just kind of stab with, you know, with your rear foot and and it would do effectively the thing. Right, yeah. So I did a little bit of losing on the balance board. Ah, yeah, well, then you understand the the concept. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of left and right, you know. It was very, very simple in functionality, but we hadn't had this option before. Was this skating game also a bit hard on the old bum? It, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the like the yoga itself, you were more involved in the game hmm. than uh, I'd previously been with a PlayStation or PlayStation 2. Yeah, unless, of course, you're sitting on your PlayStation 2. 
Well, well, kick flipping it. Yeah, well, even then, there wasn't a lot of games that would keep you doing that for a length of time. No, mostly one kick flip one, would yeah, destroy the exactly, console. Yeah. yeah, and it was, yeah, game over. Scratch the disc, yeah. Yeah, exactly. EB Games doesn't really like return policies for, for you know, kick flipped games. Well, it's not part of their warranty. Mm. It's, you know, as soon as more people start doing it, everyone thinks they can. Right, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, so I, I just want to give a shout out to the yoga pad being misused in uh, other games, not yoga related. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's fairly good. I think um, also like very early uh, on in the Wii's life was obviously Wii Sports, which was the main reason why everybody went and got it. There was bowling, boxing, there was um, golf, there was uh, weight curling. And there was... Tennis? Yeah, tennis. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And then there was the Wii Sports Resort after that. Yeah. Yeah. The, these things were pretty fun. And the Wii Exercise, the Wii Fitness, th- this gave you a whole other element to it, but it made the Wii kind of seem a bit family-oriented and kitschy, especially right. with the, the swathe of kidsy games that were available. Right. So that's why you're nominating... I'm going to nominate... Skate it. No, I'm going to nominate Mad World. All right, Mad World. Yeah. Okay, what a what a turnaround you've done there. That is uh, that is not at all like Wii Sports Resort. That is a very violent game that uh, surprised a lot of people when it showed up on a Nintendo console. Yeah, very violent, black and white, cell shaded, created by Sega. Hmm. Uh, which Sega cell shaded violence. These uh, black and white noir stylings. The voice of Bender, uh, John DiMaggio, is one of yeah. the commentators. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's the voice of Marcus Phoenix as well in Gears of War. Yeah. yeah. It combines a lot of my favorite things. So, yeah, I'm going to throw out Mad World as my first pick of the best Wii. I think um, I can kind of remember Mad World. Do you want to run us through kind of how that game sort of plays and how it goes through a bit? Right. Well, you were. it was... Essentially, a glorious black and white beat 'em up in mm. which you were given, you were on a game show. It was basically a snuff movie of a game show, and you were given extra points for brutality, mm. like stacking up various ways of killing people all at once would yeah. give you the more points. So it wasn't enough to snap someone's head off in a in a dumpster you should first skewer them with two street signs and shove a trumpet over their head and then stick them in the dumpster. And that would give you more multipliers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Um, I really do like that sort of... If you're going to have a violent game, like definitely put attach a score to that violence, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was... You could rack up the violence quite considerably with some of the contraptions they had around the place. Mm. And then you had... Uh, spiked bat as well hmm. so you could just mix it up with finishing moves was there a chainsaw there was a, definitely a chainsaw in that game wasn't yeah, there yeah you had a yeah. chainsaw for an arm there was a spiked bat you could pick up <laughs> that is yeah yeah that's John DiMaggio really loves to find those chainsaw games hey he <laughs> gravitates towards them I think there was probably Jake had a chainsaw for an arm in Adventure Time from memory as well I haven't watched much Adventure Time yeah yeah uh, so Finn has a dog named Jake who uh, goes on murderous rampages with a chainsaw for an arm. I don't believe you. And that dog is commentated by John DiMaggio. Commentated. Yeah. Yeah, he does love the commentary. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, he's a well-known commentator. It's fascinating. Real, yeah. It's the only part of that show that's actually got commentary is when Jake is murdering people. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, yeah, Mad World. Uh, that's a great inclusion. Um, I honestly, I would like to go and revisit that. I think I've got it on the shelf. Um, it's more about finding an operational Wii at this stage. Yeah. The, Although my Wii U does uh, does work, so I should probably be able to play it on that. Yeah, I've got two dead Wiis. I think. Oh, you should see a doctor about that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I'm gonna. Um, I mean, I'm going to go... There's a lot of good stuff, especially early on. There's, um, you know, Mario Galaxy. That is a timeless classic. 
a brilliant return to form for the Mario games, uh, which never really left form, honestly, but it was a lot better than Mario Sunshine, even though I, I liked Mario Sunshine. Mario Sunshine was weird. It was. That was the one with the water cannons and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What what was going on with that? Why why was that so strange? That was basically another Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah. I think there is a tendency for Nintendo to kind of uh, sort of come up with the idea for a game and then just kind of attach one of their existing, existing characters to it. Like, you see a lot of that with, um, like, say, Kirby's Epic Yarn, which I, I think you want to talk about later, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were talking before this, and yeah, you mentioned that one. It's definitely very good. Mario Tennis. Uh, the, the sport games are the exception. They're, they are um, less... They're not mainline games, so they're less, um, you know, these... Uh, the way Nintendo tends to develop stuff is they, they go and they make a prototype, and then uh, Shigeru Miyamoto will walk around and he'll go, huh, put Mario in that, or put Link in that, and then it'll, it'll attach the title to yeah, it. Yeah, but they were right, because I don't think tennis would be nearly as popular today if they hadn't included Mario in it. Yeah, that's true. Tennis is played worldwide. Yeah, uh, I always play as... Um, as Waluigi, because he's a terrible, terrible character. That's a mistake, an abomination. He should not exist. And uh, according to most of the Nintendo uh, main teams, they actually hated him when he was invented by Camelot in 99's Mario Tennis 64, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Waluigi was to give a Wario counterpart to Luigi. Yep, yep, I understand um, this. Yeah, and so uh, it was actually Camelot who weren't one of the Nintendo EAD main teams that came up with him. And then EAD, uh, apparently, the rumour is that they very much disliked Waluigi and wouldn't include him in, say, Mario Party or any of that other stuff because, yeah, he sucked, according to them. Yeah. He's the most evil character isn't he though I don't think he's done anything like I don't think he's done anything good or bad he's only in the tennis and sport games pretty much I think yeah he's in he's in all of the extended Mario games but I I couldn't say that he's done anything notable at all like Wario's got some character and Wario's done some stuff yeah I just assumed Waluigi was more evil again somehow no um I mean Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We, we, we will never know because Nintendo are not about to put him in his own game. <laughs> they hate him that much. Well, maybe they don't anymore. There's a new crop of uh, devs at Nintendo. Maybe they... Yeah, he was included in all the the uh, Smash Brothers. No, the Wii, the Wii version of um, Mario Kart at least had him. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about Smash Definitely Brothers. Definitely Mario Kart 8. Has him. I'm pretty sure he was on the Wii Mario Kart, which is again one of the best titles on the Wii. Yeah, and it's not particularly great for a Mario Kart game either. Like it, it loses the battle mode from 64 and replaces it with a, a kind of very stripped back, not so great version. Because I used to play that um, you know, battle mode deathmatch stuff from the Nintendo 64 version of Mario Kart really heavily, and the Wii dropped that and. I have never forgiven it. Battle mode still existed. You just played with people online. Yeah, and it had some other weird system. It wasn't quite the same. It wasn't the three balloon. The three um, balloon one still existed. There was just a couple of different gaming modes. Okay. Yeah. I think there was like a, a horse style one where you had to collect the letters like in um, Tony Hawk. Yeah. That kind of thing. Okay. Or no, there might have been one where you had to paint like in a... a um, a precursor to Splatoon almost, where you had to cover certain ground yourself. I'm trying to remember. But yeah, so there was several versions. That's Mario Sunshine again, I think. Mm. Mm. Wasn't it something they killed? I just remember there being several fighty versions on of, uh, of the fighty versions of Mario Kart on the Mario Kart game. Mm. I don't know that they were as good as they once were, but I do know that... I played many people around the world and lost many balloons. Right. Yeah. I played a lot of race, um, race relations. Um, <laughs> no, played a lot of the uh, racing game, the main one there. Played a bit of that online. Well, you had to. 
I mean, you didn't have to. You could play the story mode or whatever, the chapter mode or whatever. No, to unlock more things and to unlock more characters, you had to be online and winning. There were certain characters Um, you couldn't unlock unless you'd won X amount of races or beat X amount of people online or... Yeah, I think it was a pretty low threshold, though, wasn't it? Most of the stuff was available in single. It doesn't really matter. Honestly, Mario Kart Wii, why are we discussing it? it it's clearly not the best Wii game. No, not the, not so, the best. So I'm putting, you know, Mario Galaxy is, you know, we'll save that one for honourable mentions. Um, and Super Paper Mario, I'm yeah, putting I was that say one Paper there. Mario. Yeah. Super Paper Mario is a bit weird, um, and it's a departure from the Paper Mario format. Um, turning it into a bit of a platformer with some weird sort of pseudo 3D stuff thrown in there where it kind of changes perspective. Yeah. That game, I'm not sure if this is correct, but I seem to remember something about when it released. It it, um, was meant to have broken a record for the most text in a video game. I know nothing about this, but Mm. it does follow on from the Super Mario RPG, and that was also text-heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess it kind of loosely does because Paper Mario 64 was the kind of reboot of that idea. Yeah, a spiritual sequel, as it were, to mm. Mario RPG. And then Thousand Year Door for the GameCube was absolutely gorgeous and was definitely the best Paper Mario game that there ever was. And then Super Paper Mario came out and it's really different. And I'm not sure it's quite as good, but it's it's still very good. Yeah, it was striking. The The gameplay in both that and Galaxy were... They were familiar enough in a Mario sense, but, yeah, just striking and unique. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Galaxy... Yeah, Galaxy really brought that, uh, that star-hunting thing to the forefront again and made it really fun to kind of, you know, dive in and out of levels. And, oh, man, just the motion in that game is fantastic. But neither of those get my best. My best is reserved for drum roll, please. The Legend of Zelda: Skyward Sword. Oh yeah, it has not been looked at kindly over time, but I still reckon it's got the best. You and Zelda games. So why is this not looked at kindly? Okay, so there are a number of things that uh, that people tend to complain about. Uh, one of which is the uh, the world is not kind of connected in the old fashioned way for a Zelda game. So even though most Zelda games have um, you know areas, they all seem to map out as though. You know, they would be one big world. Yeah, joined to one another. Yeah, whereas Skyward Sword kind of has this sky-like overworld. And then the worlds themselves are kind of below the clouds. And that sky-like overworld is kind of boring and a bit empty. It's definitely not one of the best bits of the game. So it's not as full as a map from a Donkey Kong Country game or something like that. Oh, nowhere near. Yeah. It's uh, not as full as some of the, you know, blank maps from, you know, like Ocarina of Time or, or Twilight Princess where there's a lot less going on. Yeah. Um, but when you get to the dungeons in that game, they've got some of the most thoughtful puzzles. Um, the motion controls, uh, even though some people had some issues with it, I thought they were very interesting. I thought uh, it was great to be able to swing a sword uh, the way you wanted to because uh, it was the f- one of the early games to have the uh, Motion Plus. I think it actually came with a Motion, motion Plus. Motion Plus stick, yeah. yep, yep. This is the additional peripheral yeah. that you plugged into the bottom of the Wii controller to make it even more lightsabery. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it it was, um, you know, like it was imperfect, but it was still very good. Like, being able to slash things in a certain direction, like cut a tree and it will fall a certain way and... And all that stuff was it was just really interesting. A lot better than Twilight Princess, which just kind of made it so that if you moved your hand in a certain way, it would, you know, translate that into one pre-baked motion. This was not that at all. It was, you know, uh, you choose the angle, um, and yeah, it was quite interesting. It's really funny watching. Um, there was a thing where you had to raise your sword skyward in order to 
like a shoot a, a like a sword beam type thing. Yeah. Right, and it's kind of funny because it would it would kind of drift a bit, so it was kind of difficult to find where up was. So you get people like kind of putting their hand in the air and kind of waving it around a bit like an idiot to try to find it. Just gesturing wildly yeah. until you find the exact spot. Now, all of these things I'm mentioning make it seem like it wouldn't be the best, but it is, in fact, the best. You're describing an imperfect game that's still the best. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Because, yeah. okay, what it drops uh, for dungeons is worth the price of admission alone. Uh, what it does to the Zelda universe is it kind of ties everything together and gives it a neat... Uh, so it's a prequel, and it kind of uh, does a lot of work to make the events in the rest of the Zelda games and the fact that they kind of play out over and over again. Uh, part It gives that a reason, and it kind of ties it all together. And uh, some of these uh, cinematic moments, on it, while they get criticised for being a little long, they are actually really uh, interesting moments, and they've got a great story to them. It's... Um, the orchestral song, soundtrack is just fantastic. It's really pumping and it's um, you know got a lot of the classic sort of theme song stuff built in there. Very yeah. stirring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and really, really upbeat. So you you really feel like you're on a mission to kind of you know do whatever it is you've got to do. Okay. Save the princess. Right. It is definitely another one of the save the princess games, but yeah. Okay, so these are its bad points. What are its good points? Um, it's a Zelda game. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah, you're an easy Zelda. Uh, I'm, I'm an easy Zelda. <laughs> I see what you've done there. Yeah. Um, okay, so the Skyward Sword, and you're, you're basically doing, you're picking this largely on the, the waving the sword around dynamic, the little, <laughs> the little gizmo that you stick into the bottom of the Wii. Yeah. I think this is good because we can talk about the various gizmos that you could, attached to the Wii. Mm. Uh, we've already had the, the balance board, the yoga thing, mm. uh, and now with the, the motion plus controller. Yeah. Uh, did you ever have the gun peripheral? The, the stupid, crossbow the from st- Link's crossbow training? Well, the plastic thing, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah that was... Um, well, there's another Zelda game that comes with a peripheral. Yeah. Uh, some would say more successful than the uh, Skyward Sword with motion plus peripheral. Those people would be wrong, but... Some would say that. This was an excellent hunk of plastic. (laughs) There's a lot of that in the Wii It was just a plastic thing, but it... How naive they were. Do they not know that we use cardboard now? I know. Yeah, yeah, this is actually what it reminds me of a little bit because it was just a shaped, designed plastic thing that you'd slot the Wii controller into at one end and the little joystick controller, the nunchuck thing, into the other end. And it would give you the best gun experience out of any of the peripherals on any console I've ever had. And with the addition of the th- like the joystick at the back with the um, on the nunchuck, you could move independently, and so it wasn't just for rail shooters. And this is where Medal of Honor, Goldeneye, uh, a few of the shooters on the Wii were given an ability that you couldn't do on any other console because you can move around and be pointing the rifle at the screen. It was just fantastic for shooting games. Yeah. All right. You you touched on Goldeneye there for a bit. And just to clear this up for our listeners, this is not Goldeneye Nintendo 64. This is Goldeneye Wii that, that you're... Yeah. Okay. Goldeneye 007 for the Wii. Yeah. Right. So you liked that game. I liked the functionality of being able to point a gun at the screen and also run around with a joystick and not be on an on-rails shooter and not have to have a console controller that has no gun pointing ability. So you liked that game? I Okay, I liked that game. All right, cool. So you like Goldeneye starring Daniel Craig as James Bond as is made famous in the movie Goldeneye, starring Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. Yeah, there was some recasting, some redesigning. It, it was essentially Goldeneye, though. It was essentially Call of Duty is what it was. Yeah, but the the levels 
The level design echoed the ones that I remember as a kid. There was some nostalgia there. It wasn't terrible. Mate, get your Daniel Craig out of my goddamn Goldeneye. It had... It's not Goldeneye. How, you can't bring out Goldeneye and make it not Goldeneye. That's, it's a lie. It's, it's just using the name of something. And EA have done it twice because there's another one, another game they did during the Xbox era, which was called like Goldeneye Rogue Agent or something like that. And it was, yeah, like James Bond is evil or some crap like yeah, that. Yeah, didn't they sandwich a Sean Connery lookalike into that one? Or I don't recall, but uh, yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't actually mind this because one of the things I would improve about the original Goldeneye movie, and don't get me wrong, it's one of the good James Bond movies, but just not one of the best ones. Mm-hmm. The first thing I would. All do- right, top ten best James Bond movies, starting with number ten. Luke, take it away. Well, okay, probably Goldeneye, I don't know. But I would just say that the thing I would immediately improve about Goldeneye is I would put in one of the real James Bonds. As in? As in? Pierce Brosnan, he doesn't cut the mustard for you. No, no, it's got to be either George Lazenby, Timothy Dalton, or Daniel Craig. Okay, Timothy Dalton is terrible. George Lazenby, well, I mean, he's... He's George Lazenby, mate. He, he, he's one of us, and we're not proud of it. And then, uh, <laughs> lastly, you've Why got... Why aren't we proud of George Lazenby? George Lazenby was exceptional. Uh, he was exceptional. Um, <laughs> his but fight, not in the way you mean, huh? His fight scenes were much more dynamic than Sean Connery. He could throw a punch, he could take a punch. And the funny thing about him was that he accurately predicted that in the 1970s, James Bond would become a joke, a lounge lizard, just Lothario joke that wouldn't play like it had. He's largely responsible for that. Yeah. Roger Moore is far more responsible Uh, for it. Okay, okay. But but what uh, George Lazenby did instead was instead of signing on for more James Bond movies, because uh, famously um, Sean Connery came back for one after George Lazenby left the role. But he signed on to do three movies with Golden Harvest Studios in Hong Kong with a rising star, Bruce Lee. It's just unfortunate that... Never heard of him. It's just unfortunate that Bruce Lee died before any of these movies were completed. Uh, yeah, around about the three-quarter mark of The Crow, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially, mm. where he, when he was shot by Funboy. Yeah. Um, the movies that he did go on to make with Golden Harvest, I think even made more internationally than the James Bond movies starring Roger Moore at the same time. So George Lazenby was no slouch in the international cinema. We just, he's not regarded highly. But anyway, the point being is I would immediately sandwich in George Lazenby instead of Pierce Brosnan and we have a better golden eye immediately. Right. So you had, and you mentioned Daniel Craig, he makes the list. Yeah. I think... Look, he's quite good. I, I I don't think that you can look back at a Pierce Brosnan film and take Bond quite as seriously as you can during a Daniel Craig Bond. Daniel Craig and Timothy Dalton both had the cold, dispassionate assassin thing down. Yeah, but... Okay, it doesn't work in the Dalton era. Because they're just like, geez, James Bond, mate, you're, you're out of the agency. You're out and your wife's dead. And he's all like, oh, no, my wife's dead and I'm going to put this guy in a washing machine and he's going to turn into blood. You're getting too confused. It was George Lazenby that had the dead wife. They, every second Bond <laughs> has a dead wife or a missing wife or, I don't know, he's married to his job and then he gets divorced from his job. He's married to his job is usually the thing. There's only been one wife. Yeah. It was the daughter of Corsican Mafia. Okay. It broke his heart. Oh, no. Blofeld killed her. Yeah, but that's that's Daniel Craig's. That's why he's vexed. Is is Eva Green was killed via drowning by some guy that has managed to elude him for the rest of the films. Kind of, I think they lost interest in that plot and they threw it aside or something like that. Yeah, they've been they've been patchy with the films, but the actor himself has been fine. The actor Daniel Craig? Yeah, the actor Daniel Craig that yeah. you're complaining about substituting into the GoldenEye game that yeah, that's is made better by Daniel Craig. That's because GoldenEye exists as both a very popular movie and a very popular game. This is and both of those have Pierce Brosnan and some members of Metallica in them. This is nothing new in the world of James Bond, though. Like, for instance, Thunderball got made twice. 
it got remade in the 80s as Never Say Never Again with just an older James Bond, Sean Connery in the role again. Yeah, that was a good one, actually. It was strange. It, it was, was strange that that happened. But if this can happen, then it's allowed. I yeah. mean, who is James Bond? What is Is it a rank? Is it a role? It doesn't matter to me if they I think it's a guy that changes. But at the same time, like Goldeneye very specifically is, I think that's one of the first original non-Fleming stories, is it not? And... Yeah, um, there are a bunch that are not. So it's kind of iconic that it's it's kind of set its own thing, and it's very much its own thing. And the only reason why you would make a GoldenEye video game is because GoldenEye already worked well as a video game, and everybody knows and loves GoldenEye 64. It has not aged well. No. And if you put it and GoldenEye uh, 2010 or whatever for the Wii next to each other... I dare say that the Call of Duty team Treyarch that made the GoldenEye Wii game will have definitely done a better job than the six guys that Rare called their C team that managed to cobble together multiplayer in a month. Did you know this? The guy who made multiplayer for uh, Rare's GoldenEye 64 did so in a month without the permission of his superiors and they slid it into the game last moment. No, I was unaware of that. I couldn't imagine GoldenEye without the the multiplayer functionality. It was basically the entire selling point of it was you could get three mates over and get really high and run around shooting each other. Which one was the one that would, if you were odd job, you were less likely to get shot because you were shorter? Mm. Yeah. That's true for the movies as well. If you were odd job, you were less likely to get short. Yeah. yeah. Less likely to get short. No, you're very likely to get short. Yeah. No, he was an enormous Korean man. It didn't make sense. Okay. In, the, in the context of the movie and the character, it never made sense. Right. Yeah, the, the, he had the razor blade hat. Was he enormous? I thought he was short. No, he was... The only short one would have been... No, he wasn't even a really a bad guy. He I was think just there's a story behind why Oddjob is short in that game. And I think it must have been like a bug or a rush job or something like that. I seem to remember that being something. I should look it up at some time. Well, it was probably to, uh, just to distinguish between the height of, say, that character and, say, Baron Semity's top hat and things like that. Mm. The, char- the voodoo character from Live and Let Die. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Axel Rose. <laughs> yeah. Right, so you're not a fan of the Wii, just the Wii version of GoldenEye, just simply because it changes the original GoldenEye, which you admit was pulled together at the last minute. Nobody knew what they were doing, and it has bugs. Uh, I think it's more because it has a very cynic, uh, cynical reason for existing. It's like everybody loves GoldenEye. We're going to make a GoldenEye, and they're like, "We've got James Bond license. We can make GoldenEye." And the James Bond team is all like. Yeah, you don't have Pierce Brosnan rights, though, and they're like, well, just give us Daniel Craig. And you go, all right, cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it seems a bit, you know, like it, it's it's just... I see what you're getting at, yeah. but I see the entire games industry as being extremely cynical, and I see GoldenEye as being a, a standalone title, not just a movie, mm. and that you could make a run of GoldenEye games... GoldenEye 1, GoldenEye 2, GoldenEye 3. They would just be the James Bond Don't shooter. Don't say that too loudly. <laughs> Somebody will hear you and it will be a thing. Yeah, they'll just be a franchise of specifically James Bond shooters. <laughs> GoldenEye. Yeah. They'll have a different Boris in each one. By, by, the fifth, uh, by the fifth generation of these games, Boris is going to be this... Ma- it's actually going to be Boris from Snatch, the Boris the yeah. Russian, yeah. Well, okay, so there's a lot of elements to what James Bond does, and in the sense of what how gaming goes today, you could have, say, text-based mystery games of James Bond, the Telltale style. Yeah. You could do stealth-based, more involved games in the world. Right. And then just have completely ballistic shooters in the GoldenEye series. It would work. All right, so what's your number nine <laughs> We're not doing uh, James Bond movie, then? <laughs> I don't know that I have... Nine favourites. Okay, well then we'll just do top three. Three is From Russia With Love. No. No? No, I wouldn't include that. It's good. Dr. No? No. Stay away from Sean Connery. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> None uh, of them were. Never Say Never Again. It's that I just said. 
You just said, never say never again at number three. Staying away from Sean Connery. Okay, staying... The Rock. The Rock. Yeah. The Rock was a good James Bond movie. Yeah, it's an excellent James Bond movie. It it actually was a good James Bond movie. Yeah. Um, Indiana Jones. The... Uh, Yeah. Uh, That's... um, that's the Indiana Jones is that series with Shia LaBeouf in it, isn't it? <laughs> One of the series with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Yeah. No, Indiana Jones was a, a perfectly fine James Bond stand-in. Yeah. Uh, especially the first two movies, and they acknowledged it by including Sean Connery in the third one. Hmm. Yeah. Excellent. But no, obviously the the best James Bond movies are. <sighs> I'll go Casino Royale. Um, the Living Daylights, License to Kill, and then we throw in a Roger Moore one with Octopussy. I was going to say the one before it. Um, the one with the Greek assassin, uh, Septopussy, I believe, and the one with the Greek assassin lady. Um, That's all of them. <laughs> Uh, you only no you only live twice with ninjas oh my god there were so many of those it's not you only live once is it no you only live twice but that was the one with the ninjas and that was not a good one. Oh right yeah yeah no I'm trying there was uh, a, <laughs> you only live hard. once this is YOLO far too Mr. Hard. Bond why are we doing James Bond huh we, this is far too hard why are we doing James Bond we were talking about Goldeneye and you hate it yeah, specifically, I hate GoldenEye for Nintendo 64. I think they got it much better the second time or third time around. The third time? Yeah, with Daniel Craig in it. It's yeah. the way it should have been the whole time. Are we calling the second time Perfect Dark or...? Uh, no, that's that GoldenEye Rogue Agent one for for Xbox. Right. Nobody played it. It's not important. Right, okay. Although Perfect Dark is the spiritual successor to GoldenEye 64. Yeah. Yeah, well, it makes sense if you tell me that the the Medal of Honor team were the ones behind GoldenEye because the functionality... Or uh, Call of Duty Call, team. Sorry, Specifically, Call and that's, that's actually interesting because Call of Duty Modern Warfare is by Infinity Ward and Infinity Ward used to be led at the time by Vince Sampella and uh, Zach... Somebody and anyway, those guys actually made Medal of Honor. Yeah, no, I get the two franchises confused, but they're yeah, they're, they're, they're the same, same guys. They're yeah. the same thing, a except apart. Treyarch that made uh, Goldeneye. Yeah, they're not those guys, right? Yeah, so they're, they're the other team. Treyarch did every second one. They used to be the B team for Call of Duty. So does that mean they're ones behind Battlefield? No, right. That's Dice, who are a Swedish studio. Well, suffice to say that the functionality of this stupid plastic peripheral mm. made shooting games on the Wii a completely different experience to any other consoles. Right. It's just simply by the addition of a stupid plastic peripheral. Yeah. And the, the, the Wii remotes themselves having the... It wasn't true infrared. No, it wasn't, it wasn't true light gun. It was worked like infrared. Yeah, yeah, actually inverse um, infrared because those Wiimotes would read the position of the sensor bar rather yeah. than being read by a sensor bar. Yeah, but it did work like a light gun in that regard. So between the shooting games, as we just described, and then the on-rails shooters like House of the Dead style, mm. yeah, that was excellent. You couldn't get that experience on any other consoles at the time, before or since. Uh, Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. No. <laughs> I mean, that was a damn good gun. Yeah. And there was a good gun with Sega. But these are still light guns. And you could only have yeah, one at a time. 500 typically. grams or something. A bit less. <laughs> yeah. Fairly light guns. Yeah. But you could only have one to two at a time, whereas you were able to have four players on the House of the Dead on the Wii. So, clear winner there. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, they're definitely lighter guns than an AR-15. That thing is heavy. Much, yeah. much lighter. Yeah, made of plastic. This is the thing. All right, cool. Yeah, well, I actually played a bunch of shooters on the Wii and never used the gun peripheral. Really? I only ever used it for Lynx crossbow training. <laughs> that's the worst game to use it with. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it came with it, so... But, yeah, I think uh, I played... A couple of the Call of Duties. I think there's Call of Duty 3 on 
on the um, yeah Wii. And, uh, yeah, I would play just with the nunchuck out of the thing. Did you find that better? You would just point and shoot sort of thing? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Gave me a little bit more uh, freedom of motion, a little bit less commitment involved for long play sessions and all that sort of thing. The Switch doesn't work like this, does it? No, there's no sensor bar. Um, So this is a thing that was only Wii-specific and perhaps Wii U, but it can't be done, replicated ever since. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, you could replicate it. Uh, Nintendo could make a sensor bar for the Switch. It does have IR. Right, but Um, they haven't yet. They've moved on from this. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's a whole bunch of stuff. Because the the Switch Joy-Cons are essentially just Wii remotes. Like, they're the same... Like they've got the same pieces of technology in them. They've got, you know, they've got a gyro. They've got a um, so the gyro is the um, gyroscope, which is just yeah, like the, the directional the Wii Motion Plus. They've got the accelerometer, which is what the vanilla Wiimote had. They've got uh, one of the two, so I think it's the right one has an IR sensor, so you could use it as a pointing device theoretically. Okay. And also, like, uh, without a sensor bar, we have pretty decent uh, pointing tech just based on gyrometer. Yeah, but it still won't be... This is something they'll have to look at again if they want it to be as functional and useful as it was in the shooters of the Wii era. Skyward Sword actually didn't use the sensor bar for the majority of its pointing. Is this why you couldn't find... It couldn't find straight up in the air, or...? Nah, that was mostly just because if you swing the thing like crazy, then it's going to lose its orientation. Yeah. And it turns out sword swinging is one of those things uh, that does that. People get carried away with it too. Yes. Yeah. There's a, uh, a, a half-brick game called Fruit Ninja VR that actually had a little bit of involvement in it at one stage. And, uh, yeah, that has uh, a lot of... Uh, VR motion controller, sword swinging, but luckily there's positional information involved, which is the missing ingredient. So that's what it would use for the sensor bar. It gets positional information, which is what you need for pointing, um, but you can't use it for swinging. I'd just do this with fruit. You wouldn't need the infrared or the technology or the game dev. You just a machete and some fruit. There are some great videos on YouTube of people doing IRL fruit ninjas <laughs> with actual samurai swords. What have you done? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not responsible for fruit ninja, um, but I was involved at one stage. Yeah. So you've heard it here. Dale is responsible for all those people doing fruit ninja videos in the world. It's all his fault. Yeah. I'm just walking around throwing fruit at people and I just see what sticks. Yeah. It turns out rotten fruit sticks. Yeah. Well, this is where you got the idea from in the first place. You were just throwing fruit at people and then there was a ninja. He wasn't going to be covered in fruit. He sliced that faster than your eye would believe. I'm going to stipulate one more time. I did not create fruit ninja. (laughs) It's very important that for the record, (laughs) I like it. I, I did not make it. I've worked on it. I did not make it. Okay, so Dale was the fruit ninja. Yeah. I am... My middle name is actually uh, Fruit. So it's named after me. Dale Fruit Williams. Yeah. Got a lot of teasing in school with a middle name like that. Dale Fruit Williams, yeah. yeah. Big vegetable kids in my high school. Yeah, but it was... It's an honourable name. It was... Mm. Yeah, it's named after, I think, one of our early... Prime Ministers or mm. Kings. Mm. Yeah. Paul Fruiting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He was definitely one of our early Kings. Definitely one of our better Kings. Yeah. Yeah. One of our favourite Kings. All right, cool. So we've got to, uh, uh, just to clarify one more time before we move out of Find the Best. I have nominated Skyward Sword and Luke, you have nominated... Kirby's Epic Yarn. <laughs> Fuck. You always do this. <laughs> <laughs> Kirby's Epic Yarn was excellent. <laughs> All right, so run us once more through Kirby's Epic Yarn. Kirby's Epic Yarn, I believe, is a game featuring Kirby. Yep. Uh, a character who was named after a vacuum cleaner. Yep. Uh, with the ability to suck things up 
and mimic their ability. However, Kirby Abigail actually doesn't have the copy ability, does it? No, no, he's no longer slapping up enemies and mimicking their moves. He mm. is now a piece of string. Mm. Wool. Pe- wool, yeah. Wool yeah. yarn. Yarn, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of the most inventive plat- pl- platformers I've ever played. Mm, it is epic. It is, well, it, and stylistically and aesthetically and just the things that they could do with this string. The, right. Yeah, the, it was a very unique approach to platform gaming. Right, cool. And platform gaming goes way back for me, and this was really fucking exciting as far as a platform game goes. Yeah. And fun for all the family. I believe um, that team later went to do uh, Yoshi's Woolly World too, which is a Wii U game. Yeah. Um, very similar um, in the things are made out of yarn. Yeah, also ridiculously cute and ridiculously playable mm. with puzzles that are taxing but not overly. Yeah, it was it was a very intelligent game for a kids-looking game. Tax-related related puzzles? Yeah. Did your non-returnable outcomes outgoings exceed your incoming i just let my accountant handle all that yeah Yeah. gamers only ever played by accountants yeah i just pay them in yarn yeah just uh, yeah that's not too bad yeah yeah swim swim a couple of wool bales and let them spin it into a finished game yeah all right cool well so you're your best Wii game is Kirby's Epic Yarn. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm sticking with Skyward Sword, even though Mario Galaxy probably deserves it. I feel like at the moment Skyward Sword needs uh, needs all the defense it can get because after uh, after uh, Breath of the Wild came out, uh, people just decided that it was shit and they don't like it anymore. And most of those people are forgetting about how great the dungeons are. What, Breath of the Wild? No, uh, Skyward Sword. Is Breath of the Wild the one on the ship? No, that's that's Wind Waker. Right. Yeah, which we discussed in a previous episode was um, was the best. Absolutely the best, right. Yeah. It might actually be the winner of this entire podcast, but we'll have to keep going to find out. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so you're going with Skyward Sword, and I'm going with Epic Mickey. No, Kirby's Epic Yarn. All right, cool. So this next segment is called Best of the Week. Week. All right, so we're in Best of the Week. In Best of the Week, we uh, discuss what was the best this week. Luke, take it away. What's the best thing for you this week? <sighs> Firstly, I don't know about the theme song. But the best thing this week has been Disenchantment 2. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. What's wrong with the theme song? It's... I I don't know if we're settled on it yet. It is wholly original. It is nothing like the best of the best. I didn't say it wasn't wholly original. I didn't say... I'm just not... I wasn't included in this. (laughs) I feel like I'm getting... I'm getting (laughs) dogged here. It was a bit much. Anyway... Disenchantment. <laughs> All right, yeah, disenchantment. All right, cool. So this is Matt Groening's uh, uh, post-Futurama show. Uh, I believe David X. Cohen is involved as well. Yeah. And Futurama creator. And uh, there's a bunch of the Futurama staff involved. And uh, it's already had a first part or first season, whatever yeah. the Netflix are doing with that. Ten and episodes. now the second one's come out. Ten episode batches that it seems to be in an episodic fairy tale, larger arc of an epic story, perhaps. It's, yeah. It's, it's very broad. But yeah, it's fast to say, episode two, no, series two of it has come out this week. All right, cool. So why don't you tell me what that is all about? Well, okay. So there might be some spoilers involved here. All right. Well, I haven't seen all of it yet, so you know, go easy. All right, give us a go. Okay. So, it's the story of Princess Bean. Yep. And she has... She lives in in a fairy tale land, a magical fairy tale land that's Mm -hmm. inhabited by elves, ogres, trolls, witches, etc. It's very fantastical. It's not set in history at all. And this is the Simpsons... 
uh, animators that are, that are essentially, or the, the Simpsons animation style that's essentially doing this. Mm. Okay, so Princess Bean, yeah, she lives in a castle mm-hmm. and she has with her mm. her companions. There right. is an, there's an elf yep. and there's a demon. Demon's yep. played by Eric Andre. Yep. Yeah. And so the demon is new and he's vying for Princess Bean's attention. Right. Whereas, whereas Princess Bean, um, you know, she's getting older. Right. And, and she's been with the elf. You had the elf around for quite some time. So the elf's getting a little bit, you know, sort of, he's getting a bit jealous. He's getting a bit worried that maybe Princess Bean's going to replace him with the demon. And they get into a fight and then they're separated from Princess Bean. And then they have to come to terms with each other and make it back to Princess Bean's castle and just realize that they are both going to be one of Princess Bean's favorite companions. Right. So you've just aped the plot from Toy Story, I believe, there. You didn't want any spoilers. Okay, yeah. Well, mate, that's just not on. We we, we have to seriously discuss things here, and uh, you have been warned. All right, well, look, it's a shame that that has to happen. Like, honestly, you've just gone and ruined this episode for us, and look, I'm, I'm going to have to pick it up. So the thing I'm recommending this week is uh, the brand new Netflix film Between Two Ferns with uh, Zach Galifianakis, directed by Scott Alkerman. Based upon the the famous web series from Funny or Die, I believe. That's right, yeah. All right, so uh, in that, uh, Zach Galifianakis plays a mean-spirited and highly territorial green ogre who loves the solitude of his swamp. He finds his life interrupted when countless fairy tale creatures are exiled there by fairy tale hating and vertically challenged Will Farrell of Duloc. Angered, he uh, he decides to ask Will Farrell to exile them somewhere else and brings along a talkative uh, donkey played by Lauren Lapkus, uh, who is the only fairy tale creature willing to guide him. So I haven't seen this yet, but if yeah. I didn't know better, I'd say you were just describing the plot of Shrek. Nope, that is the plot of Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. As directed by Scott Ackerman, I'll have to check that out. I yeah. do enjoy his stuff, mm. and I do like me a green ogre. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, Look. that's ex- excellent. Okay, so that's the best things of the week. That's the best of the week. All right, cool. So uh, the next segment is called Being the Best. All right, so this week on Being the Best, Luke, it's your turn to be the best. And what are you going to do for us this week, Luke? Hold on a second. I'm just getting ready. Okay. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, that is a serious piece of kit. I'm not sure you're allowed to have that. I'm probably not allowed to handle it blindfolded. Okay. Well, I, yeah. Well, okay, so... What I'm going to be doing is... What, what is that? I don't know a lot about guns, but that, to me, looks like it's what, an MP6? No, it's an AR-15. An AR-15. We're going to break the world record for stripping and reassembling an AR-15 whilst wearing blindfold. Wearing a blindfold. Okay, so what is the current world record time? We have no idea. We're just assuming that this will win. 21 seconds, you say. (laughs) Blindfolded reassembly, uh, disassembly reassembly is 21 seconds. I'm sure I got it down faster than that. Okay, so it's 13 seconds. Yeah, well, with any record, we're going to have to replicate it a number of times. So let's just get the first one down. So I'm just going to help you uh, secure that blindfold. Yes, uh, I can officially not see anything. All right, cool. Um, so could you start, please, assembling this AR-15? You'll have to describe what I'm doing. I can't see what I'm doing. Okay. Three, two, one. Okay. It looks like you've you've got the muzzle there and you're... Uh, all right. You've got the trigger in place and time. Wow. So... 
that was amazing. I have never seen an AR-15 be disassembled and reassembled so quickly. Uh, so that ends our segment being the best. Well done, Luke. I like that you, you seem to name all of the parts correctly, as if you knew exactly what a gun was. Oh, you mate. I know tons about guns. They call me tons of guns. Tons of guns. Yeah. Dale, Fruit, Tons of Guns, Williams. Yeah. Did you like this gun, though? Like, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Look, honestly, it's in my top three guns. Top three guns, starting with number three. Take it away, me. Number three is definitely the PP7 from the James Bond films. Yeah? Yeah. The Walter PP7. The Walter PP7. It's yeah. a very, very small caliber of gun. It's, uh, yeah, but it's, you know, it's it's about the caliber of company you keep, isn't it? Well, no, it was about it being very small, concealable, and the fact that a twenty two or whatever was carried, and I think it maybe an 18 or something like that, would just, it would enter someone's skull, but then bounce around and wouldn't exit out the other side. It's far more lethal that way. I know all of the things you just talked about then. Yeah. Um, my second favourite gun is the Club from GoldenEye 64. What was the Club? The Club was a very low-powered machine gun named after Ken Lobb, the game designer who made GoldenEye 64. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Club is the most useless weapon in the game. Yep. And uh, most people hate getting the Club. But we throw in, Before number one, we'll just throw an honourable mention for yep. the, the, the BFG from Doom. Oh, yeah, that definitely, yeah. All right, the BFG cool. 9000. And the number one gun, according to me, is, of course, the Lynx Crossbow Training Plastic Peripheral. Yeah, I agree with this. This yeah. is good. It's a fantastic gun. Um, you know, it's only been uh, involved in highly entertaining school shootings and... Um, Again, this is a fish reference. Meaning, I never got yeah. school shooter for the Wii. It's uh, like shooting fish and a baby. <laughs> uh, imagine if they'd released school shooter, a game just called school shooter. It was along with you know, like Wii Sports Resort, Wii, <laughs> Wii Yoga, Wii School Shooter. Okay, so there is, yeah. There is a a great story that I have for you, which I cannot share on this podcast, but basically there was somebody who submitted a folio to a games company I once worked for who had made a game which was a a school shooter simulator. Oh, I can I can understand them existing. I can believe them existing. I just want to see Nintendo and Wii releasing <laughs> it. I don't. I really don't. You remember the the me the me characters? They're like M I I characters that you had to do with the the for the the yeah. Wii control, like for the Wii yeah. menus and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And they would turn up in sports resort and yeah. Wii sports and stuff. Mm. That's who you want to be shooting. <laughs> okay, and so now it's time. For the honourable mentions. All right, now that we've gotten through this podcast, uh, what, we, what we're doing now, which is, again, another change to the format, but this is a great change. We've got the section honourable mentions. We're going to figure out what the best thing in the podcast is, what gets honourable mentions, what the worst thing is. We're going to do it all in those orders. So now it's time for best of the best. Yep, this is the entire point of the podcast. We'll be wrapping up. Mm, we're going to do the theme song. All right, cool. So in the best of the best, we're actually going to be changing the format. Luke, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're doing now? We're going to be finding out exactly what was the best things we've discussed in this podcast or the best things of the week, as it were. We're going to be giving honorable mentions, and we're also going to be finding out what the worst is. That's right. So we've done quite a lot of figuring out what the best things are, but now it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty and figure out what the absolute best thing is. So let's start with those honorable mentions. Honorable mentions? Yeah. I'm going to start with Super Paper Mario. Uh, you know, I brought it up in the best, but, um, uh, you know, uh, Super Paper Mario and Mario Galaxy... For the Wii, they definitely get honourable mentions. I'm gonna have me. to. I'm gonna have to throw in the Bit Trip games, the mm. indie developed Bit Trip games. Yeah, they were pretty fun. 
Fantastic. And House of the Dead Overkill. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. House of the Dead Overkill. It was, again, it was a, a, a rail shooter, just like the arcade games, and I believe it had the Guinness Book of World Records record for the most swearing in a video game. Huh. Yeah, so again, a little bit of a, a dark horse for the Wii. Maybe that's going to come up on a best, because that's got best swearing. Best swearing, yeah. Yeah, that might come up. Yeah, we, we, it's worth discussing. It's also the best zombie game I can think but mm-hmm. zombie shooter game I can think of. There is a game here which uh, it just says Legion of Elders Twig-like Princes. So Legion of Elders Twig-like Princes. Uh, gets that an gets an honorable mention. mention. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So I think uh, Akami as well, that gets... That oh, yeah, that, Akami. Yeah. The, the functionality of the Wii really lent itself to Akami. The old PS2 game, the painting one. Yeah. yeah. I would think out of uh, Zelda games with a dog in them, it's definitely the number one. Yes. Beating out Legion of Elders, Twig-like Princes. I think it's the only Zelda game in which you play as a dog the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, only Zelda game... Where you play as a dog the whole time. Yeah. At least that year. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it, it makes for a change. Yeah. You, you know, you've spent all these games playing as Zelda. Mm. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no, mate. I'm, Not biting. <laughs> what if Zelda was a grill? Um, all right, cool. So that that's, that's uh, the honorable mentions done. And just before we get to the best, it's time to figure out what was the worst. All right, I'm going to take the first... I'm going to take pole position in this one and go for Goldeneye. Goldeneye for Wii gets a big old fat stinking worst from me. Yeah, your reasons, they're biased. It's You're just worried about the cynical cash-in element and not the fact that the game was perfectly playable and a worthy successor to the original Goldeneye. It's not a successor to the original Goldeneye. It is. This That's is perfect a- duck, mate. <laughs> perfect duck. Perfect duck. Quack. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, such a good duck. It's immaculate. Did you play the Time Splitters games? Because that was uh, the same crew. Who, no, it wasn't. That's what it was, wasn't it? Perfect Duck and Time Splitters. Yeah. It's people from the same company. They went on to make Time Splitters for the PlayStation era of games. PlayStation 2 era of games. <laughs> no, they definitely did not. I'm sure you'll find Time Splitters 2 shares some DNA <laughs> in development. What like in the, like individuals? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. I. I, I yeah, it's not know. the same company, but it's no. people from the company started a new company. Suffice to say, Time Splitters. Right. Time Splitters is the Golden Eye game that we're not talking about. Well, I know Ken Lobb uh, from Rare, who designed Golden Eye, is still at Rare. So yeah, no, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. No. And then there's that, so that that leaves five or six other people. It could be if it's from Golden Eye. Well, from Perfect Dark. From Perfect Dark. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, it was meant to have been a whole bunch of the same guys, but yeah. Yeah, like, there was more people added to the team, though, after the success of GoldenEye. Mm. Yeah. Now, that was an interesting game. Uh, Donkey Kong 64 came out really close to that, too, so Rare were quite busy with that yeah. That era. Donkey Kong 64 is hot garbage. Hot garbage. Yeah, especially following on from the Donkey Kong Country games, which were excellent. Excellent, indeed. Yeah. Yes. All right, cool. So uh, what about yourself? What's your worst? Uh, this was really hard to say. I wanted to say Skyward Sword just to annoy you. <laughs> have you played it? No. I no, mean, it doesn't matter. You're allowed to have an opinion on it if you haven't played it, evidently, because that's what the whole freaking internet's doing at the moment. Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate again how the worst thing about the Wii was that there was no school shooter game included in this <laughs> along with sports and sports resort and I tried to move us away from this so hard the Wii Fitness <laughs> I can't actually think of that much of a downside to do with the Wii Wii shoot <laughs> yeah Wii social shooter <laughs> Wii school shoot <laughs> this is this is absolutely uh, terrible alright cool alright so now shooter. It comes time for us to decide the absolute best of the best. All right, so my vote is definitely going to be... I think the best Wii game is Between Two Phones with Zach Galifianakis. 
I'm going to go with Mad World. Mm. I'm going to go back to that. Ah, all right. So it, Mad World. Matt found it to be highly offensive, and I think you will too. Uh, mate, I find you to be highly <laughs> offensive. That's for damn sure. Just get out of here, mate, with your bloody Wii Shooter game. Yeah, I'm still... I'm still... I'm moving it back to Skyward Sword then. Yeah. Yeah. It would be very unlike me to nominate a Zelda game for the best. And then not stick with it. Yeah, and then not stick with it. Okay. All right, cool. So I believe it is your turn to flip the coin because we we cannot come to a unanimous decision here. So once you've flipped the coin, you've got to show me and then I will, based on whether... It, I will read out the result and then uh, we will know what the best Wii game is. Okay, so getting ready for the coin toss here. This uh, Cool. If it's heads, we're going to go with Skyward Sword. And if it's tails, we're going to go with Mad World. Yep. Right, okay, cool. you ready? All right, so flip it. Flip it. And then catch it and then show me. My God, it's landed on its side. It's Kirby's Epic Yarn. Kirby's Epic Yarn? Yeah. That's, that's fair. It yeah. was an excellent game. It was. I didn't play it, but yeah, it's definitely the best. Yes, definitely the best way. I think we've wrapped that up. All right, cool. Well, thank you again for listening to Dale and Luke's uh, Best Podcast with Dale and Luke. Yeah, it was all of the best and none of the rest. Oh, I didn't say that up top. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to cut it in again. You're not going to edit it in. I've gotten it in this time. It's mine. <laughs> oh, well, we might revisit that. Um, all right, Luke. So, sign us off with your amazing catchphrase. We don't have one of these. It's never a catchphrase. We don't do- The best podcast with Dale and Luke.